a recent popular trend in, in people on, on social media. And um, what they do is call to their dogs when their dogs are right beside them. Bentley! Bentley, where are you? Come here! Bentley! Now my video's not working. Well, you get the idea. There's a dog that's sitting there looking confused because... Nico! 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 I'm right here. Here I am. Why are you looking for me? And I think that sometimes um, when we think of seeking the Lord and pursuing Him, He's closer than we think. He's closer than we think. I want to invite your attention to a passage of Scripture in Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. We were in Amos last week. We'll be here again this morning. You find Daniel, Hosea, Joel, and then Amos. Because Amos is hard to find. Amos chapter 5. The context of this passage, or this book really, is just before the time of Isaiah, and Amos was someone who was not a, not a priest, not even a proper prophet in some ways. He was a shepherd, and God put a burden on him for his people, for the Israelites, and called him, called Amos to deliver that message, and this was Honestly, during a time in the nation of the nations of Israel and Judah, that if you would look at them from the outside, you would see it as a period of blessing, a period of prosperity when things seemed to be going well, and there were relatively few problems. But Amos came bringing the people a message to remind them that they were forgetting their covenant relationship with Jehovah. They were going through the motions of their religion. They were making sacrifices. They were going to the special places of worship and, and uh, trying to uh, look like they were God's uh, special chosen people. Yet all along they were putting the emphasis in the wrong place. And here in Amos chapter 5 we read these words, verse 4. Thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel." Let's bow our hearts for just a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you again for being here with us this morning. We thank you for blessing our hearts with a sense of your presence. 
We ask in Jesus' name that your will will be done among us. We pray that you will open the truth of the scriptures to our hearts. Help us, Lord Jesus, to hear and receive what you want to say by your word. Help us to seek you and to find that in the seeking you are not hard to find. In Jesus' name, amen. The prophet gives them the message, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord first of all. I'm sorry, let me re- restart my program because it's not working. The prophet says, seek the Lord to find life. Seek me and live. Seek the Lord to find life. You know, God is the author of life. And it is his plan and his purpose for each one of us to have life, physical life. God created the world and everything in it, and we read about it in the first pages of our Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, how God spoke and the worlds came into existence, and the light shone in the darkness, and plants grew. And then it says that he formed man from the dust of the earth and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. God is the author of life, and it is his plan, his purpose for you and I to have life. For a people who have the ability to choose freely whether or not they will follow him, to say, yes, Lord, I want your will and your way done in my life. God has shown us throughout the pages of Scripture that it is his will for us to have life, for his people to have life. I think of the story of Abraham uh, being called by God to go up to Mount Moriah and take his son, his only son Isaac, and there to offer him up as a sacrifice. And Abraham willingly, according to the story in the scripture, seemingly without hesitation, goes to the top of the mountain and there begins to offer his son. And the angel of the Lord appears there to him and says, Abraham, stop. I know now that you are willing. You will not withhold anything from me. And he provided for that sacrifice, the ram in the thicket. Seek me and live that you might have life. When God called the Israelites out of Egyptians' bondage, he brought them through many times of tests and trouble. And many times when the Israelites complained and they felt as if their lives were coming to an end and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here just to die? But God And his plan for his people is for them to have life. They run up against this first seemingly uh, at the the, uh, edge of the Red Sea when Pharaoh and his army is coming behind them. And uh, uh, they're caught between Pharaoh's armies and the Red Sea. And, and there begins this time of saying, oh, it would have been better if we'd have stayed back in Egypt. 
But God says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And, and God instructs Moses to lift his staff and the waters part and they cross through on dry land. God provided for them water from the rock and manna from heaven all throughout the years of their wandering in the wilderness, day after day after day. God provided for his people that they might have life. God's message to his people through the prophets was for them to turn back to himself, that they would have life. Often we read through uh, the prophecies of the Old Testament and we hear them as messages of judgment and condemnation. And yes, they were that, yet we need to remember that those messages come as warnings for people to be able to turn back to God, that they can find life. We see then Jesus coming in the form of a baby and laid in Bethlehem's manger and then taking our sins upon himself and going to the cross. Long before that time ever came, though, Jesus spoke to the religious leaders of his day and he said these words, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. God invites his people to seek him for life. Seek me that you may live, says the Lord. And we find that in spite of the ruination of sin in this world that we live in, and we understand here that we are all as, uh, as people born into a broken and a corrupt world. We are born dead in trespasses and sins, separated from God, cursed by the effects of sin. And then as we grow, we come into our own uh, responsibility for those sins. But the Apostle Paul gives us these beautiful words in Ephesians chapter 2. You who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God invites his people to seek him that they might live, and even those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, the grace of God extends to them, and they are invited to seek him that they might have life. I believe God also invites us to seek him that we may find blessing, to seek him that we may find blessing. It's interesting, uh, there in verse 4 of Amos chapter 5, he goes into the special instruction. We, we talked about it a little bit last week. He says, don't go to Bethel. Don't go to Gilgal or, or cross over to Beersheba. Don't go to those places. Don't seek me in those places, but seek for me, look for me. You know, humanity has always been interested in being blessed, right? 
you know, it's gotten to be a very popular response these days when you ask someone, how are you doing? And they say, oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And often we mean that things are going well and, and I have relatively few problems. Good things are happening in my life. I'm blessed. What about the difficult days, though? Are you not still blessed on the hard days? Certainly we are. Certainly we are. We look in the uh, language of the Old Testament, and uh, you know that the common greeting in those days was shalom, just as we would say hello to one another. They would say shalom. That greeting uh, directly translates to peace or peace be with you, but it, it means so much more than peace. It is a full-bodied, full-perspective sense of blessing, meaning all is well. May all be well with you. And the hope and prayer is that all is well with me. And you know, it's interesting that people uh, seek for blessing. They look for blessing, but often look for it in the wrong places. Over in the book of Jeremiah, uh, we read these words, Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. People looking for blessing in places where it cannot be found. Here in Amos chapter 5, God, through the prophet, speaks to the people and says, don't go to Bethel, don't go to Gilgal, don't go to Beersheba. What was unique about those places is that they were all uh, locations of great spiritual significance in the history of the nation of Israel. Bethel, you remember, is the place where when Jacob was fleeing for his life and he was there out in the wilderness and he laid his head down on a, on a stone for a pillow. That not be too comfortable to sleep on. Stone for a pillow. But he laid his head there, and uh, you remember the vision that he had, and he woke up the next morning, and he said, this is Bethel. God was here. God is here, and I didn't realize that God's here. And Bethel continued to be a place of, of significance uh, spiritually in the life of the nation of Israel. Gilgal was, was similar. If I remember correctly, Gilgal was the location where uh, when the Israelites first crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, it was there at Gilgal. It was there at that place where Joshua instructed the priest to go out into the river and take 12 stones and then set them up on the bank of the river as a memorial to how I brought you out of the wilderness and into the promised land. Beersheba, you can read uh, throughout the pages of the Old Testament how over and over again people had significant encounters with God there at Beersheba, from Abraham to Isaac and Jacob and even Hagar, that slave woman of Sarah that was cast out. It was there at Beersheba that she met God, she encountered God. And it's interesting, there's something about those special places in our lives that become almost holy ground to us. And often we think, oh, if I could only go back to 
this place. I remember, it's not even a Nazarene campground anymore, but I remember Camby Camp. Uh, Kenny and Elizabeth know about Camby Camp in uh, the uh, Indianapolis area. And I remember being there as a young boy in the, in the uh, very large tabernacle and the services that we would have and the the, the old-fashioned noiserines shouting and running the aisles, and it made an impression on me as a young boy. Even in the pages of Scripture, there was a time in the life of Jacob when God spoke to Jacob and said, I want you to go back to Bethel. Go back to that place where you first met me, where you first experienced my presence, my blessing on your life. So what was special about Bethel? Was that the only place where Jacob could be with God? Where Jacob could experience God's presence? No, and neither is, neither is Camby Campground or, or, or Salyer Lake or Jernigan Church or whatever those special places you are thinking of in your life, in your history. Those aren't the places that you have to go to experience God's blessing. You can seek the Lord anywhere where you are willing to Yield and surrender your life to his will. Seek the Lord and his blessing. And in order to find his blessing, his help, you don't have to go anywhere special. You don't have to come to the altar. Now, I like when people come to the altar. Say, Pastor, what's special about the altar? I, I don't, not, not necessarily anything. You can stay back in your seat and seek God and find him just as real to you there as if you came down to the altar to pray. But often what I have found, at least in my own experience, it is the act of stepping out in front of everybody else in the sanctuary, an act of publicly humbling myself before the Lord and acknowledging publicly that I have a need. It often took that step of obedience before God would come and minister to the need in my own heart. So what are you saying, Pastor? Do you have to come to the altar? No, not necessarily. It's simply the act of seeking the Lord in obedience to His will. Seek the Lord that you may live. Seek the Lord to find blessing. Third, seek the Lord to find rescue. Seek the Lord to find rescue. Again, from Amos chapter 5, verse 6. Seek the Lord and live, lest He break out like fire in the house of Joseph. And it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. These are sobering words, a sobering message to God's people. But you know, it's interesting, the statistics on death are pretty impressive. As far as I know, one out of every one people, persons, dies. It's 100%. It's 100%. And one day it's going to face you and I. One day it will face all of us. And that's the only, the only alternative. And sadder still is to see people who once knew God, who once had a vital and, and vibrant relationship with God, to find that their life and their spiritual health is, is degraded to the point where they are weak and anemic and there's very little spiritual life and vitality left within them. 
It is to these people that God is speaking through the prophet Amos and saying, seek me that you may live, lest judgment come upon you. Because you see, it is the only alternative to life is death. And as I mentioned earlier, every, every warning is an invitation in disguise. I think we mentioned Jonah last week, last Sunday morning. You know, Jonah went to the uh, city of Nineveh, finally, for God had to work pretty hard to persuade him to go. He finally went and preached to them the message that I guess that God laid on his heart, just a few short words, didn't really say anything about Jehovah, didn't say anything about God. He just said, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was the message. Not very inspiring. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people there somehow or another recognized that a warning is an invitation in disguise. And they turned wholesale from the ones at the top of the social scale, the king himself put on sackcloth and sat on the ash heap, and he commanded that everybody in the city fast, even the, even the cows had to fast. And they turned to God in humility and repentance, and God relented of the judgment that he said he was going to send on the Ninevites. I know that this is a little bit of a different context to us living in the time frame that we do in the New Testament, and, and we don't have the messages of the prophets, but as we mentioned to you last week, we have the letters to the seven churches. And the one that keeps going through my mind is the letter that uh, was sent to the church at Ephesus, the words of Jesus to them how he spoke to them about how they had abandoned their first love for Christ. And he warned them to repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That is to be removed from the presence of God, to be removed from the presence of Jesus. I don't want to be too hard or too harsh this morning, but simply, friends, to remind you that as a church, I believe not just that our country is in trouble. We pray for our country, and we should. We pray for our political leaders, and we should. And I trust that somehow, some way, God is at work in those circles and in those people's hearts and lives, but people, judgment begins in the house of God. And I'm confident before we can expect to see our country turning back to God, it's going to call on, it's going to require us as God's people to turn back to Him, to seek Him that we may have life, that we may live, that we may find His blessing once again resting upon us. We don't have to go to any special location. We honestly don't have to go to any special lengths. We call special speakers and singers in and plan a, a series of scheduled services in an effort to have revival meeting. But many of the revivals that we read about throughout church history didn't happen that way. They happened simply because there were people who were hungry for a fresh blessing, a fresh outpouring of the life of God through His Holy Spirit, and they began seeking Him. 
And the wonderful thing is that God is not hiding. God is not hiding. I read this morning a story about a Vietnamese man who was an interpreter. He, he grew up, I believe, a, a Buddhist man and an American soldier in Vietnam gave him a Bible and he began reading the Bible and began seeking and searching and he found God. He got saved. He became an interpreter. He served as an interpreter for the military, some for, uh, for political leaders, but then also he became an interpreter for missionaries in Vietnam and worked with them. Then eventually, as you know how history took place and Vietnam fell to communism, this man endured repeated periods of being arrested and imprisoned. And finally, there was one especially rough period of imprisonment where they, his, his jailers really became torturers. They tried to brainwash him and turn him away from the ideology and the thought process of the West, uh, of the Western mindset and indoctrinate him to the communist mindset and especially to remove any vestiges, anything that had to do with Christianity. And it was day after day after day they took away all English literature and he could uh, hear or read nothing but Marx and Freud and Engels, I think it was. It was just day after day of nothing but Marx and Engels being indoctrinated and he said in his testimony that gradually it wore him down and wore him down until finally he came to the point where he was saying to himself, maybe there really isn't a God. And maybe the things that I believed were not true. And he made up his mind that day that the next morning when he woke up that he would cease his praying, he would cease trying to recall what verses of Scripture he, would, he could remember, and he would no longer try to serve God. That very day, he was assigned the responsibility of going to clean the latrines. And you can imagine what horrific conditions he would have been working under and there as he was going about his responsibilities and being watched over very closely by a, a guard, a soldier there guarding him, he saw a little scrap of paper, something that had been used as toilet paper, and he saw English writing on it. And so he quickly, discreetly tried to pick up that piece of paper and clean it off as good as he could and slipped it into his pocket without the guard noticing. It had been so long since he had seen or read anything in the English language. Later that night as he lay in his bunk with his blanket over his head and a little flashlight, he took out that piece of paper and looked at it and began to read these words from Romans chapter 8. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, those that are the called according to His purpose. What shall separate us 
from the love of God? Shall famine or persecution or trouble or hardship or trial? No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor principality nor power nor any other thing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That man there on his bunk began weeping and crying and he repented and said, God, you wouldn't even let me go for one day. And he quickly returned back to the God he loved and the next day he went back to the, I don't know whether it was the warden or or what, but he went back to the person in charge and requested that he be given the responsibility of cleaning the latrines every day. And that permission was granted, and he went in there, and as he continued his work, he found that one of the officers there had had a Bible given to him at one point, and he was tearing out pieces of that Bible and using it as toilet paper. And there that little Vietnamese Christian would collect those pieces and clean them as good as he could and then take them back to his bunk and save them and again collecting God's word and it began ministering and speaking to his heart. Eventually he was released from prison and uh, uh, began to try to make plans with 50 or so other people. Uh, Some were were trying to build a boat. They were going to try to escape and get across the, the sea in that part of the country, go to Thailand, I believe it was. And uh, after uh, a certain amount of time had passed, they were getting close to the day that they were going to try and make their escape. Some soldiers came, Viet Cong soldiers, and said, we know you're trying to escape. And that man denied it and said, no, I'm not trying to escape. And so they left, left him alone. And after he had been deceitful and lied, God spoke to him and said, didn't I take care of you when you were back in prison? Didn't let you go for even one day? And that man again said, yes, Lord. And he repented and said, if you give me another chance, if they come back, I'll tell the truth. And sure enough, the day before, I think, they were to leave, those men came back and said, we know you're trying to escape. And he acknowledged and said, yes, we are. I, along with, I think, 50-some others. And those men said, we want to go with you. And that man's testimony later on was, if it had not been for those four Viet Cong soldiers, they turned out to have been experienced sailors. And he said, our boat would have gone down at sea if it had not been for those men that helped us safely across the sea. And he escaped and eventually made it to the States. People, we seek for God. We are are looking for God. I hope we are. And we're hungry for him. But can I just remind you this morning that all the time that we are searching and seeking, there is a God who is, is saying, I'm right here. I am ready to be found. And he is ready to be found when we begin seeking and searching and pursuing him with our whole hearts. One of the things that God has talked to me about recently is is the, the feeding of my own appetites and my own hungers. And I'm often reminded of the words of, I believe it was John Piper, who said, 
often the reason we do not seek God is not because we find him unpalatable, but because we are too full of other things. And so God has been helping me in these past few days to turn away from some of the things that bring an artificial, temporary satisfaction and start. I'm not talking about sinful things. Don't get nervous. But to starve out some of those things in my life and to turn my attention more exclusively in his direction, seeking him with my whole heart. And I'm finding as I do that, that God begins slipping in in a faithful way by his spirit and bringing a satisfaction to the hunger of my heart and my soul that nothing else can bring. We are invited to seek the Lord and live. Seek Him for life. Seek Him for blessing and seek Him for rescue. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are, but I want to tell you this morning that there is a God who is ready and willing to be found. Let's stand together, please. Pam, would you slip to the organ?